Welcome to the Embrace Podcast. I'm Andrea, and by tuning in, you'll hear both encouraging and entertaining stories of faith from my circle of friends, Christian authors, and experts in the fitness industry. For listening today, I'd like to offer one month free to my daily workout program with code EmbracePodcast at EmbraceMovement.com. That's EmbraceMVMNT.com. Hey, Embrace Movement. We have some special guests on our podcast today. We have Brian Cossey. He's the author of Trading Gods, a book of his radical and academic conversion. And then, of course, we have his wife, which is coming back on the show, and that's Dr. Carly. She's a chiropractor, a CrossFit coach, and a postpartum rehab specialist. Thank you guys so much for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having us, Andrea. Thank you. Glad to break the gender barrier here, too. So hopefully (laughs) I uh, give the the, uh, male gender a good reputation here. Um, Yes, I told him that he was our first guy on the show, which I'm so pumped for. (laughs) You know, a lot of our audience, I think, is co-ed, too. (laughs) I really want to get, you know, to know your guys' faith and, and kind of how you came into the Christian religion. So specifically, Brian... Can you tell me how 9-11 and the tragic amount of lives that were taken from the terrorist attack affected you and got you asking all of your big life questions? Yeah, well, thanks, Andrea. Um, uh, Well, yeah, let me take you back to um, 9-11. I uh, just, I was about a year into my investment career uh, as a portfolio manager. Now I have the uh, kind of uh, odd and maybe strange a job of managing billions of dollars for some of the biggest pools of money in the world. And um, a year into that, into, into that job, 9-11 hit. <clears throat> I was uh, 24 at the time. I uh, was in the best shape of my life. My career was advancing. And I um, was basically living as if I was going to live forever. 9-11 hit, and it just really shook me up. Um, it was almost like I realized I could die at any day, at any time. Um, 9-11, I could have been working in New York City. That, that could have happened to me. I just felt my mortality um, starkly apparent for the first time. And so that kind of started my journey. Um, and so the Sunday after 9-11 was the first time I went to church. Um, I had gone maybe a couple times as a kid but only on like Christmas Uh, Christianity in my household growing up was just not anything important to us. Uh, We were like the Scandinavian countries. We were, our family was built on Christian values, but we didn't live it on a day-to-day basis. We did on Christmas, we celebrated Santa uh, and on Easter, we celebrated the Easter bunny. (laughs) So, um, so that first Sunday um, after 9-11, I went to church just to try and seek answers And I was just so thankful that that first Sunday, I went to a church that wasn't afraid of my questions. I had a lot of them. Um, They had a huge library, for example. They had thousands of books. They had sermons on on video. They had sermons on audio. They had debates with scientists. Um, They just had all sorts of materials. And so I just started um, devouring this material like a glutton swallows food every day on my commute, two hours, uh, I would just listen to all this material about history and philosophy and different religions. And so um, that was the real start of my, of my quest on 9-11. Now, what's weird is that um, 
Also, 9-11 was this launch of this huge new movement called New Atheism, um, where all of these very influential thinkers like Richard Dawkins and others had this basically a publishing sensation where they wrote books that became bestsellers. And all of them were basically saying that if you're a believer in any religion, you are unscientific, you're not logical, and you're probably harmful to the world. And so as I was like trying to answer my own questions of, well, what is it? Does my life have meaning? What happens after I die? Uh, Why does anything exist at all? I was having those kinds of personal questions. And at the same time, I was sort of getting bombarded by this new atheist movement that was saying, hey, you're, if you're believing in God, you believe because you don't have any evidence mm-hmm. and you are probably um, destructive to the world and that you should probably discard your beliefs. And they were very adamant about those kinds of things. And so I kind of had to navigate through all of these questions. And this is sort of what the book is about. Yeah, I, I was so surprised at first that your, you know, that your big switch happened, you know, to start all those questions like after 9-11 and that you were able to find answers. And I was just wondering, like, what were those big life questions? You know, I, I saw some in your book that were like, what is the purpose of life? You know, and maybe mm-hmm. who is God and, you know, who is Jesus? Because that's a really important question, too, is like, what does he have to do with everything? And was he a yeah. teacher? Was he a prophet? Was he an angel like what was he and and if he's lord of your life or if he's lord is he lord of your life who is he lord of and you know how is that going to change you know what your actions are and how you believe so can you tell me a little more about like what those questions actually were yeah so i think everyone sort of faces these big deep questions of life um maybe not everyone thinks about them as much as i do they're sort of like you know like my home screen Uh, or my default setting is, you know, as soon as I power off uh, work for the day or leave the trading desk at work, I start to think about these things. Um, Questions like origin, like what is the origin of life or what is the origin of the universe or meaning? What is the purpose of life? Um, Destiny, what happens after we die? Uh, Or morality, what, how should we live? A lot of the questions that you might face on a day-to-day basis are probably um, derivatives of those big questions. So you sort of need to, the way I approached it is I wanted to build those big foundational questions, uh, have a reasonable answer to them. Now in my search, um, it really came down to one single question and that was who was Jesus? Um, I didn't know that that was the question I needed to answer. Um, It took a friend of mine, Ryan, who during my spiritual journey, he just asked me that question. He knew that I was searching, but he didn't know where I would land. He just said, well, who do you think Jesus is? And honestly, that was like the perfect timing for that question. Because honestly, when I researched who Jesus was through history, through the gospels, through what other Uh, writers contemporary to Jesus said about him, I guess I just found that, um, that he was the one thing that lit up every other question of life. If you know sort of who Jesus is, you can sort of view the origin question, the morality question, the destiny, the meaning question, all of those come into focus. 
And so he was really the worldview focus that um, brought everything um, from blurriness into clarity. Wow. And where was your friend Ryan at in his faith? Was he <laughs> a Christian? Was he a new Christian? Had he been in the word like a lot? Was he pretty mature? Yeah, he was. Um, and I think he had his, his family is all Christian too. So he grew up with a very strong faith. Um, and he brought me to church one time, I think. And we had a conversation after that service. And I remember during that service, like he broke down in tears. He was, I could just sense that his emotional connection to Jesus was a legitimate, real relationship. Wow. Um, and so we had a good conversation after that service and, you know, we've, we've kept in touch since then. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. It seems like God really put him in your life. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things when you when you find anyone that's converted to Christianity later in life, there's all of these little things that you can look back to that were, you know, a friend came in and asked you a question or you read a book at that one time and it, it may have dropped a seed um, or watered your, the garden, if you will, if I can use an agricultural analogy. Um, sometimes, you know, before you become a Christian, you sort of need to have this garden, if you will, that is watered and um, manicured and things like that until the fruit is right, right, excuse me. And um, I can look back and see all sorts of things that happened in my past that really prepared me for my conversion. Yeah, wow. So then did you feel like, you know, you're using the word conversion, like, you know, it happened. And it's like, you know, I think of people as like growing in their faith over life. And usually I, I hear it, you know, starting early and then kind of some missionaries coming into their life. Maybe that's their parents at first. Maybe that's their friends and family, or maybe like you're saying a book or documentary or just attending church service and having it all compile up reading scripture for everybody. It's different. Um, you know, but then I, but then I think of, you know, people like you're saying that come to faith later in life and how it can just be so different. It's not growing in their faith. It sure. You do get to get to that point, that point in some way, but you like turn on a switch, you go from mm -hmm. off to on. And that's very different. That's how my husband's conversion was as well. Mine was more mm -hmm. of like a steady growth from young and his was like all in one moment. He can remember mm -hmm. that day. He knows that wow. date. And when he was 19, um, everything changed for him and now he's 33. And so for him to live in that world for like 12, 13 years, he's like, no, it was the opposite of what the world was before then. So, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible to, to hear that, you know, your conversion led you to so much action. Like your conversion was like, not just like something like, oh, now I have a faith. Now you're like, I need to write a book because this was a crazy <laughs> journey. I just went through as an adult. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think Carly would say, you know, you've sort of always had faith. Yeah, I think maybe mine's more similar to you, Andrea, that like, I was raised a Christian since I remember, you know, and as we, as we discussed a little bit before, it's like, I had some, some rough years there in the middle, the college years were probably some poor choices, but I definitely came back to my faith and, um, and it never, it never really went away, you know? And so I think that's one really cool thing for me about reading Brian's book, um, is, when you grow up in this, with this lifestyle, with these beliefs, I think sometimes we take uh, for granted some of this research and this, uh, these questions that people who are non-believers might have and some of the reasons that they 
feel our barriers to believing in Jesus and believing in God. So for me, reading through the book, it's like a whole different lens. It's like just gives uh, qualification to these things that I believe. And like, it's like, okay, that's why, like, here's some, here's some proof, here's some evidence. And uh, so it's really, I think for me, his book is like so great for non-believers, but also for Christians, because it gives us like this background that sometimes we just sort of take for granted. So. Yeah, I think that was, so one of the audiences for this book is not just the spiritual seeker that really just wants to know, is there anything behind this God hypothesis? Um, Is there anything behind um, Jesus as the Lord of your life? But it's also for the, just the average Christian in the pew. I mean, I think if you looked at any of the, any of the polling data that's out there, um, a huge portion of Christians, an increasingly um, large percentage of Christians really just don't know what they believe or why they believe it. Um, and so what's frustrating for me, I think, is I feel like if they just only knew what, mm-hmm. uh, what, what really is back, backing their faith, this great foundation of um, history, of intellectual research and rigor and um, that their faith would be encouraged. I think what I find is that, and a lot of what the polling data would show, is that when you're challenged in your faith, um, a lot of Christians just don't know, A, how to, art- how to articulate what they believe to a skeptic, or they get rattled by a skeptic. And that rattling can mean eventually you lose your faith or you walk away for a period. And I think maybe for some of the audience that you've got here. We've all got family and friends that don't believe. We also have kids that we're trying to raise maybe in a Christian home. They might um, walk away from that faith when they encounter tough questions from skeptics in school. Most of the universities today are very (laughs) non-religious. In fact, maybe a little adamantly so. And so- Yeah, even the ones that were founded in the Christian faith, right? Like all the Ivy League schools. They've like completely taken a turn where the people that are attending them usually are, think that academics rivals with the religious portion of, you know, where the school started from. Yeah. And um, so you might have a teacher in like auto mechanics or something like that, (laughs) that drops a a comment that says something about God in a derogatory way. (laughs) This is what people would, would say is you go to these universities and the majority of professors are pretty adamant atheistic believers. And so my hope is that with this book, you, for your kids um, that are maybe going to those universities, they could have a little bit stronger of a belief system heading into that university so that they won't be shaken. Mm. And then what I try to do in the appendix of the book is to really give some strategies about how you'd end up talking to a skeptic. So for in this example, where you have a professor that is pushing against God, um, you don't really want to argue against a professor in the middle of class. That's a bad strategy because they they have the microphone, if you will, and they have the power. It's not uh, it, it's not conducive to um, changing people's minds and hearts. But you could just ask questions, and that's really what the appendix is. Is Let's hear are some basic questions to just have in your back pocket when a, when a skeptical conversation comes about. As simple as, 
what do you mean by that? Or how did you come to that conclusion? Professor says something, you're like, oh, that's an interesting point. What's your reasoning? It could be just as simple as that and then have that person try to articulate their beliefs. And honestly, I think that is the best strategy for building trust in a relationship, as well as to maybe point out that people really haven't thought through their beliefs a little by having them try to articulate something that they believe. Which is exactly what atheists usually do to Christians. Exactly. <laughs> and that's how they can rattle them, right? Is they mm-hmm. like ask them questions and all of a sudden they go, oh, they're like, well, what is the gospel? And they're like, I should know this, you know? <laughs> like like I, I honestly, I felt like, um, you know, giftings wise, you know, we all have spiritual giftings from the Lord. And as we mature, he's going to help those giftings grow. I believe that I had like an evangelistic gifting a long time ago. And I, and I think that those are kind of like at birth, you know, the Lord knew us before we were born kind of thing, but then he's going to grow them when he wants, you know, in, in his timing. But I felt really muted and really um, like I didn't have any tools or I didn't feel equipped to share. So a lot of my life, my, my faith for me was very frustrating. It was mm-hmm. almost like I went to church every Sunday. I loved it. I felt like I did have a real connection with Christ. I, I knew that the, the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ was important, but I didn't know it was the central thing. And there was a reason why we kept bringing it back up. It was like, yeah, I've heard that story before. Why am I listening to it for the hundredth time again? I don't think I truly grasped that that was the, that was the central Christianity. That's what made it different from any other, any other religion. And that me sharing that story actually can change hearts, that it's the mm. gospel and through hearing it, that people actually start to accept the truth and, and become believers in Christ. I just always thought, well, they would have to attend church for as long as I have. They would have to go through all these steps. They're obviously nowhere close. Why am I even going to try? But then also this deep love for people, this passion that I wanted to see them come to know the Lord. And it was more like, um, I think people really are really skeptical about the, just the word evangelism. Cause I think that they think, oh, they're, they're going out and they're trying to evangelize everybody and, and get mm-hmm. them to, con- you know, have a dramatic conversion or talk them into being Christians. But I, I really just see it as it's someone that loves Jesus and they're going out and saying, I've tasted it and I've seen, and I want you to come back with me. I want you to taste and see too. I want you to see that the Lord is good. Like this, this has changed my life and I want it to change yours or at least give you a chance for it too. And so you want to bring them closer to God. And, and so when I think about you guys and, you know, your guys' ministry in, in your marriage, you know, I, I can see it from, you know, a growing up in the faith and, and a slowly, you know, growing into maturity with Carly. And then I see like a, you know, switching on the, the light switch with Brian and you guys can use that to talk to people that have those big life questions or come to you with their extreme doubts. Yeah. I, I, you bring up a lot of great points there. Um, you know, we're, we're in secular Seattle here. We're one of the most unchurched areas of the country. Uh, maybe Portland is number one, maybe Seattle is number two, something like that, you know. And, More uh, than New York City, do you think? <laughs> maybe New York City is up there too. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, it's just like people don't really want to talk about these types of things. And so it's mm-hmm. really difficult to bring them up in conversation. It's, that's at least what I find. And I've been studying this stuff intently for a number of years, obviously, to write a book. But um I know, I, honestly, I just find that, you know, Carly is so good at just as at bringing up these conversation topics to try and pivot 
conversations that are about natural things into something that's maybe more of a supernatural idea. So what's your day? How's your day going? Those kinds of topics into, well, you know, why do you think that way? Or um, what do you think is going to happen after we die? Or just something that bridges that gap. I think I find, you know, I find it very difficult for me to do that. And I feel like I've got a lot of good answers. Um, I don't feel like I have as many good answers, but apparently... I'm like, oh, now that we're talking about that, this, uh, why don't you talk to my husband? <laughs> yeah, that's when you say, hey, I have a book for you. I yeah. have my backpack. Here you go. Read it. The, actually, that does kind of bring up a good point is that I, I guess when Brian was writing this book, so I was still pregnant when he was, well, he started writing it before uh, we had our son. And then actually when I read his book the first time, you know, it was on printed paper from our computer. Um, sitting on our deck with like a giant pregnant belly, you know, and just like, he's like, you got to read through this. You know, it hadn't even gone to the printers yet. And um, I just remember starting to read it and being like, oh gosh, is this going to be like so academic? Uh, but it, and obviously I'm biased, but it really is very like readable and interesting. And I loved reading it. And I, I tend to not obviously eat up the types of books that Brian does, you know, I mean, he read hundreds and hundreds of books to write this book as like basically a resource. Um, so it, it really is very readable. And I just found like, as a Christian who, like I was saying, I could, you know, believe this my whole life, but it just was so like comforting to see some of these things that like I'd wondered about, but I don't really want to read, you know, the five books about it that are like, so feels like over my head uh, that Brian read, um, to write this book. So it, it definitely gives me, um, some good talking points and some easier ways to like, uh, address things than I feel like I had before. So that's definitely a bonus, I think, of your book. Wow. That's really cool. So what would you guys say that your guys's spiritual giftings are? Um, I like the teaching aspect. Um, you know, this book, it, I never really wanted to write a book because I knew it would be so much work. <laughs> uh, what I just wanted to do was teach a class at church. And, and that's really how I started this whole thing. Um, because like I said, when I went to church for the first time after 9-11, I found a church that actually had classes. They had, they had the Alpha class, if you've heard of that one. Alpha that is amazing. Cool. I was just yeah. going to say that what you guys are talking about is a lot like Alpha. First yeah. one, what is the purpose of life? Second one, who is Jesus? Third one, why did Jesus have to die? Fourth one, how can we have faith? Yeah, like, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I was going to ask you that separately because it has so much to do with apologetics and bringing it to the mm. person on the street. Totally. Uh -huh. Absolutely. I, I mean, I love that class. And I... And they had uh, tons of other classes that were on audio too. So, you know, I just sort of felt like, okay, I want to give back, you know, I want to pay it forward a bit because, um, you know, my journey was so greatly helped by all of those classes um, wow. that um, I think it's time that I, that I try and do something at my church to have a class that sort, sort of brings to light this intellectual um, and, um, well, to, to try and answer those big questions of life and how Christianity does so and have a class that, that presents uh, even the toughest challenges that skeptics bring related to evolution or miracles or science. 
Um, you know, th this is there's a lot of heavy science in in this book. I, I really wanted to address that because it was really the first thing that I had to overcome was I came I came to that church on the Sunday night after 9-11 with a belief that science had all the answers. Wow. And if I and that really there was only the natural world, if you will, um, mm -hmm. or had a faint belief in spirituality. But I had to get over that um, in order to believe in God. In, in order to believe in Jesus after that. That's sort of how my conversion went. Yeah, and can you speak more on that? that? That disconnect of like us thinking, first of all, science has all the answers, which it doesn't, you know, there, there's lots of inconclusive studies and, you know, things that we can't answer here on earth, you know, but then that like, you know, the religious point of view couldn't be logical when we know that after doing research and being invested in defending the faith apologetics, that it actually is logical and that Christianity is, you know, obviously in a biased opinion, but I've heard and you know, learn from many teachers that is that it is the most logical faith. It has a reason and an answer for so many things that we're asking big life questions about. So, you know, what it, what is the the balance between that? Yeah, I kind of think of science and religion more as like a, a sibling rivalry. You know, mm. if you look at the history of both science and religion, they sort of like challenge each other, and and they're both really trying to get at truth. Um, and so. What I've found is that science can prove only a very, very small number of things mm. with absolute certainty. Um, and this was a real eye-opener for me, is that we have absolute certainty over so few things in life. You can have absolute certainty over uh, math, maybe, spelling, maybe, um, but not over just about um, anything complex in life. Um, you can't tell me with absolute certainty that you exist right now. In fact, you can't tell me that you're not a brain in a vat con collect, uh, connected by electrodes, like in the matrix or something like that. You can't prove to me that. So you have very good evidence that you're not though. And so you make an inference based on that kind of evidence. And so as I kind of explored what science could and couldn't tell me, you know, I, I could, I could see that science was built on a lot of foundations of math and logic. It can't prove those things. Science itself can't even prove that it is the only source of truth. <laughs> that's scientism. It's not, um, that's a philosophical notion, not a scientific one. Science can't tell you if things are beautiful or inspiring. Um, mm. And so if I was only gonna believe in science, then I probably didn't, don't have free will. I probably don't have a conscience or a consciousness because I just have a brain and chemicals in my brain. <laughs> and so how can I prove that there's rationality in the world if it's just chemicals? Chemicals don't reason, they just react. And so there's all these limits to science that I'm, that was a big part of my journey. And, I, and once I saw that, that sort of opened this window to something more than the material world. Mm. Could there be something more than just, you know, what we see and touch? I think there are. I think you have a mind, I have a mind. I think you have a soul, I have a soul. Um, I think we have free will, consciousness. Um, I think there's such things as beauty and morality. And so it's, it seemed to explain a lot more um, when I thought about the limits to science and how God can play that other role. Again, as a sibling rivalry, they, they're both different paths uh, to knowing. That's good, that's really good. So 
Um, before I ask Carly um, a question about, you know, your guys' relationship and, um, you know, I'd like to ask one more thing and either one of you guys can answer this one. And it's just how did the questions about morality um, come into play when, you know, you were coming into your faith? Like, how did, how did, how do people have morals and know what's right and wrong and things like that? If, if it's all based on science and everybody has the same truth and it's like, well, where did those morals come from? You know, yeah. if there's mm -hmm. no God. So, you know, I, I always had those questions and that was a big one for me. And I felt guilty for having these questions. I don't know what it was, but it definitely wasn't my environment. It wasn't the people that I knew that were making me feel guilty. It was more like, I should know this or I shouldn't be asking this. Like I, I should be able to believe and not care that kind of thing. But yeah. What, what did that play into your guys' journey? Um, yeah, the, the moral law was a huge part in my journey, and it was a huge part in C.S. Lewis's journey. And I, mm -hmm. I quote C.S. Lewis quite a bit in the book. He was a big part of my journey, as was Blaise Pascal. And um, I think they, they come up periodically because they approach the world um, from a very unique perspective, and they just had a great writing style that, that helped show these things. And I knew that certain things were right or wrong. Um, I knew that from a young age, I could see when injustice occurred or when I saw like racism in a movie, it would just get me so fired up that I wanted to solve that problem. Um, and um, I mean, I think our son who's one and a half, he knows it too. He knows that certain things are good and certain things are bad. Or when, when things happen at the playground, even you can see when a kid takes another toy that other kid starts crying that something's quite not quite right. Um, and so I think we sort of have that innate um, moral belief. And I think it's existed across time and across cultures that we all have something inside us. And that's mm -hmm. really, you know, uh, Romans one would, would talk about that too. Um, and it was important to me because in my journey, I, I stumbled onto one thing that Lewis wrote, which was, you know, pride in your heart is the ultimate sin. It's, it, all other sins are like flea bites in comparison. And I just, in my journey, realized that I'm so selfish <laughs> that um, the pride is the cancer in my heart. It, it's basically the, the thing that caused Adam and Eve to fall as well, to have, to want to desire to be your own God. And mm -hmm. maybe to bring it back to the title of the book, Trading Gods, is I realized that I needed to trade that belief that I wanted to be God for a different belief and to give control and autonomy to the real God. And that real God was telling me that he cares deeply about moral things. And that's why he put that image in my heart. Wow. Amen. No, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> I like um, on the back of the book, you know, you guys, I, I have it right here, Trading Odds by Brian <laughs> Cossie. And now it says what he came to realize was that he had to make a decision. Would he trade the God that he had been following under which he could make his own rules, which is what most people would want, right? I want to make my own rules without subscribing to any larger organization or authority or for the real God. I mean, that's the amazing thing is people think that there can be truth that that um, changes, uh, you know, and, and that truth is relative to the person and what they believe and that that's true. I don't understand how the word truth has come to mean what it does today, what, when it used to mean one true thing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do. Uh, I think 
So you're talking about subjective truth, which is subjective really the truth. Yeah. Or the relativity of truth. And, and honestly, that is, um, it's such a big movement in academia right now that, um, you know, when I went through university, I, I was, uh, I thought everyone could make their own truth basically. And, um, I think most, a lot of professors sort of think that too. And it, it, it's sort of, a, a it's very tempting. There's an allure to it that is, um, that uh, is a little disturbing once you once you realize that, well, actually there are some things that are absolutely wrong. You know, Carly and I support this um, organization that fights sexual slavery. And we, we fight that, that because we know that it's absolutely wrong to, to hold someone in bondage while they commit sex acts for profit for you. We just feel is absolutely wrong and we should be fighting as much as we can to um, eliminate that. Carla, if you want to answer on the morality question or a little bit about the relative truth, I know they're both kind of wild, but I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that Brian and I talked about, like, I think pretty early on in the book writing process for him um, was uh, the idea of tolerance. And it was just like very mind blowing to me to think about because, you know, we, as our society today, it just feels like everyone is really encouraged to be tolerant of one another, you know, but the real idea of tolerance is I have this belief and you have this belief and it, both of them can't be right. Right. So I think my belief is right. And you think your belief is right. And I accept that you think that belief is right, but I don't accept that it's right. So I think it's just like, it's gotten so like kerfuffled, you know, over the years. Um, and I think that was one thing that we, we talked about a lot and you talk about in your book too. And, and just, you know, going back to, to truth, absolute truth, subjective, objective truth. Um, that was one thing that was really eye opening to me to understand, like, you know, I have my beliefs, you have your beliefs. I accept that that's what you believe, but I don't accept that it's right because I believe that my belief is right. And, and of course the other person feels the same way. And so that's what tolerance really is. Correct me if I'm like totally butchering that, but, um, that was something that was really eye opening to me. I think along mm -hmm. those lines. Yeah. There's, um, there's certainly a movement of what I call in the book, hyper tolerance, yeah. um, or other writers it's might call strange. it cultural cultural tolerance, um, where it's almost like I cannot, I, I can't say that I think you're wrong. Right, right. <laughs> I, in fact, right. whatever you tell me, I have to uh, acknowledge and embrace. And that, that, mm. that and embrace is the mm -hmm. hyper tolerance. Um, I may disagree with um, a lifestyle choice or a decision you make, um, or even a decision I make, um, but I don't have to embrace it as the truth. And there's this, this huge um, movement right now where, you know, you can't tell other people that they're wrong. And, mm -hmm. and so um, what I want to bring back is the old definition of tolerance where we can disagree. It's okay to disagree. Mm -hmm. um, let's do so as adults. Let's do so with respect and gentleness. But um, at the end of the day, I may have a, dis <laughs> I may have a disagreement with you about something. And that's how alpha is. That's where I learned yeah. that attitude. Yeah. That is the most inviting thing, I think, 
that you can have people from all walks of life in the same room. And they say in the very beginning, guys, we're here to have conversation. We're here to make relationships and get to know each other and talk. Um, but the, our number one rule is that you have to respect everybody. You have mm-hmm. to let them share. Um, you know, we don't want to offend anybody. We want to be able to just respect everyone's coming from a different place, you know, and, yeah, and, right. that, and that's still important. And we can't even do that with our own friends and family members. How are we supposed <laughs> to do it with strangers? Right? So it's like so difficult. Then you put it, you know, oh, these are the people I like. These are the people I know, but I don't like. These are the people that I know on the internet. These are the people that I like (laughs) on the internet. These are the people that I disagree with on the internet. And like it gets further and further and further away from you being kind to somebody. And it's it's very difficult because as Christians, we're called to stand up for what we believe is right, but we're also called to be kind. Yeah. That might be, you know, number one, just kind of (laughs) because we still love everyone. But (laughs) I love, um, I was going to say, Andrea, I don't know if you've read um, much of Bob Goff's work or if you've heard of him before. Um, I just, we just like adore his books. But one of the things that I love that he talks about is, you know, it's easy to love the people who love us, you know, and to be kind and loving to the people who are our friends and our relatives. But it's much harder to love the people who are difficult for us and that that's really where God's love shines through is, you know, befriending, loving, showing kindness to the people who are hard for us to love. And so I think that's one thing that we, we, we try to do and try to reach out and remind each other to do, but that was just something that came to mind along those lines. What was that? Yeah, and maybe that one other. Wrote that's like hmm? everybody loves or love everybody. All the time. Everybody always, I think. And everybody love always. Love does. Yes. Yeah, love yes. does is uh, also great. Just love his stuff. Like Maybe one other thought on the, the tolerance thing. I think it's important to note that, you know, we don't have the answers with absolute certainty huh. either. And so what we want to do is just protect people's right to voice their opinion. Mm-hmm. Let's bring our ideas to the table. Let's talk about their merits. Let's talk about the evidence behind them. Because um, I think as a from the Christian perspective, if Jesus is who he said he is, then we have great confidence in the truth. But let's use that very strategically. Let's use it with, with gentleness and respect. Let's mm. not shove it in people's face, but mm. let's say, hey, um, I think this way, and here are my reasons. Now you tell me what you believe and what your reasons in, and let's have a dialogue. Mm. Um, you know, Christianity is just one of those it's the only religion out there that, you know, has such evidential support as well as it's the, the only one justifiable by an event of history, the resurrection. Right, right. None of the other religions out there really have that sort of thing. I mean, I think from an evidential perspective, Christianity is the only game in town. Um, and so I think that gives, this should give the Christian a lot of confidence in any discussion that A, you don't have to be defensive. Mm. Because if there's a skeptic or someone from another faith that is challenging your belief, if you look hard enough, there's probably some gap in their logic or thinking. Because if they deny Jesus and they deny God, then um, again, if Jesus is who he said he is, then I think we're on the side of truth. So let's use that, that gift really wisely, not shove it in people's face, but allow, allow them to contemplate those beliefs. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I have a story. I was talking to um, uh, a relative of mine and it, our talk went to like 2 a.m., you know, and, um, and and I have a sibling that was sitting with us and, and we we're all just kind of just chatting and, and it got more and more close to, you know, who is Jesus, you know, where, what do you believe and why do you believe that? And there was a lot of things I said that were kind of like overhead, like, 
ah, okay, like, you know, I've heard that before, I've heard that before, but there were a couple of things that stopped her about, you know, us talking about faith. And one of them was, I told her that my life got harder when I became a Christian, or mm. sorry, when I started growing in my faith as a Christian. And she couldn't understand that because she always thought that Christianity was a crutch and that there was a, you know, oh, it helps me get through. And I, whenever I have hard times, I just pray and I feel better. And, and although those are true, um, it's not popular for people to talk about how um, the accountability of, you know, knowing what's right and wrong and having to answer to a holy God that expects perfection, which we will fall on every single time, you know, mm -hmm. but still loves us anyway and sent Jesus to die for our sins. It, there is a beautiful relationship, you know, that we can have with that, that faith that, but, but not everybody understands that. And she said, I don't understand why Christianity would have made it harder for you or like why, why your life would be harder. And I was like, I was like, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's also an unbelievable, you know, passion for those that, that have never come into the, the idea of like meeting Jesus or understanding Jesus or having a relationship with him. Because when you see that it's so good, that it changes mm -hmm. your life, you actually more and more when people have never experienced it. And so that grief is actually very real. And that grief, honestly, it brings more mourning to my life than, you know, even something that's like closer, you know, up close, you know, or, um, you know, there's so many big problems in the world and they feel very distant to me, but this one feels like loud and, and personal, like mm. almost like, oh my gosh, I've, I've got to do something about it. Or, oh, like I've got this burden because I've got the answer to this, you know, this mm -hmm. cancer, right? The cancer is unbelief and I've got the answer to it, which can solve it. And it's Jesus. And so, um, yeah, so I always felt that way. Do you guys ever feel like that? That it's like, there's yeah. like a push pull in like, mm -hmm. oh, Christianity is so great, but it's also so hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, we were just having a conversation with some Jewish friends a week ago and um, they kind of brought up that idea of, well, it's just a crutch. It's just your wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. And um, they didn't, they said it much softer than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I was like, no, this, the God of the Bible, Jesus is not someone that I wanted. Honestly, when I read, when I read the Bible, I mean, that God was too intrusive. He was too righteous. He was holy and just. He said there was something in my heart, in my life that was sinful. That is not the God I wanted. <laughs> Honestly, I wanted the God that I created. That if, if you're asking me what I wanted, um, I want the God that I create where whatever I said, did, or thought was acceptable. Mm -hmm. um, that's really what I want. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people probably want. But um, what I found in the Bible is a God that... Um, that loved me, that told me really who I was, that wanted an intimate relationship with me, mm. um, and that um, had the only offer of uh, salvation, that he, he offered a way to get reconnected with God, to, to, br to bridge that severed relationship that we had. And um, that is good news. I mean, that is, that is the best news the world has ever heard, honestly. <laughs> and so... Um, yeah. It's good. It's very yeah. good. Thoughts, Amen. Carly? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I can add to that. That's <laughs> well, I love all of this. Um, you know, us diving in. I'm just pumped, you guys, because we should be able to answer anything that we feel so strongly about, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, and scripture is important. There should be a reason why we've come to the place that we believe that the Bible is truth. I saw this um 
I saw this online the other day. It really bothered me. And I wanted to bring it up on our podcast to see if you guys have, you know, seen this to be true. So it says that eight out of um, 10 people in America, so Americans, um, they will say that they are Christian, which is, is um, more than I would have thought that there's a lot of cultural Christians that, you know, grew up in it and they're like, oh yeah, I don't even go to church, but like, yeah, that's, I'm a Christian. So people that will say it that, um, that wouldn't even really want to go into depth in it, you know, and then, uh, and then one out of 10 actually believe that scripture is true. So they, one wow. out of 10 would believe that, you know, the Bible was, you know, written by God through man um, and that it was uh, breathed into life uh, and that it is what we live by and that, um, you know, it has all authority over our lives and that, um, that it's true, that we, that's what we believe. And, you know, nine out of 10 of those people would say no, which is pretty wow. wild. So why are those such extremes there? Yeah. Um... I'll try and give a short answer because <laughs> yeah. I think this, that this answer really goes back to a lot of history too. When you think mm. about um, the great awakenings of American history, they were a lot about emotional experience. Have you had an experience with God? Have you been um, baptized by the Holy Spirit, if you will? And, and if so, prove it. Otherwise, you're not allowed in the church. Mm. And so... Um, so anyway, you have these great emotional experiences, and then you have all sorts of um, religious movements um, that might be focused on the experience of God, uh, as opposed to the intellectual side of God or the mm. scriptural side of God. And now these things aren't mutually exclusive. They can actually sure. exist together. Um, I mean, God's after your entire personhood. So your intellectual side, your emotional side, uh, relational side, etc. Um but you have this, these huge movements through time in American history, as well as, you know, currently what's going on right now with, um, you know, the health and wealth gospel or progressive Christianity that are sort of pushing um, a different sort of agenda than what you might find in scripture. Um, and so I think, um, unfortunately, Americans sort of discount the scriptural and intellectual side of, of faith. And mm -hmm. part of that's due to, you know, the preaching that comes out and part of the the, the desire for freedom, which is a, a very, would rate very highly in American mindsets, that they want the freedom to choose their own faith. They don't want, in other words, they don't want a, a cosmic authority. They, they want to be in control and to have that freedom. I think those are just some of the, some of the reasons why. Mm. That's good. I'm sure you're like super aware of that stuff too, Carly. Any thoughts? <sighs> yeah, I, I'm surprised by those numbers, actually. I would have guessed that the eight out of 10 would be much lower. But I mean, I also wonder, um, you know, in other countries, if it's different there and other religions, like we said, we were speaking with our, our Jewish friends. And it was it was very surprising to me that um, the, the parents of the friends that we were talking to who are also Jewish um, actually don't believe in God, but identify as as Jewish. And I, I guess that just like blew my mind a little bit. Like I was like, but how, you know, you have this history and looking at the, you know, just looking at the old Testament. And so I wonder how, you know, how prevalent that is even in other religions too, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. It just seems like a cultural thing that you're like, you're saying of people wanting their own freedom and, and, and wanting that bit of spirituality and wanting that like closeness and the, the emotional piece, but then maybe, not wanting to, to follow all the rules, not wanting to follow and, mm -hmm. and, and be subject to a higher power. 
So yeah. mm, that's good. Yeah. It's, it's tough because the word progressive to most people these days means a positive. Oh, progressive. Yeah. that means you're trendy and you're now, <laughs> you know, so, so, so I understand it, you know, and I, I've been called things by like, um, just people that know me really well, which I don't understand either when you give other people labels that they never prescribe to, you know, yeah. but like, like someone saw, called me like, oh, she's a fundamentalist Christian. And I was like, wait, I never said I was that I just follow Jesus and I listen to what he yeah. says and I like mm-hmm. the Bible and I'm not trying to like, you know, like literal, little, literal, 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 you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. Or like people will say like, you know, that I'm so extreme or like people that are more academic will call me charismatic. And then my charismatic friends will call me just something different. They don't think I fit in with them either. So I, I don't know. I like always feel like um, people try to put us in a box you know, and, and I, I've been trying to not allow people to put me in a box more, you know, these days, you know, I'm like, if, if you are going to put me in anything, you can just say Christian and that's, and that's fine, you know, or Jesus follower, because those are not as commonly used, but, um, you know, even, even I think finding our identity in what kind of Christian we are or where we go to church, Presbyterian or Catholic or, um, you know, non-denominational we can also get caught up in that stuff and that Mm -hmm. and if we were all united and we could all you know agree and go the bible you know is right here and this is what you know this is the truth then there would be a lot less um you know for people to see that that is like divisive you know they would see a lot more unity so you know i always think about that we've talked about that before too and you know even noting that the the word christian isn't used in the bible you know and so i remember asking Mm -hmm. brian a long time ago like why don't we just call ourselves Jesus followers, because that really is more of a true, you know, if you want to put a a term on something, that's more of a a true term. I think that people get, like you're saying, wrapped up in the different types of Christianity there are. And I think for me, if we just look to Jesus, that's like, I mean, that's a pretty said and done easy way to to say things or do things. (laughs) Or even our, the church that we go to now has Presbyterian roots, but now they're called non-denominational. I, I think they're okay. trying to get out of the box, mm-hmm. you know? Wow. Yeah. Because, um, you know, not only do they want to keep the door open for people that are looking and spiritual seekers, but, um, you know, labels have become, um, difficult to overcome. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so again, I, I do like the term Jesus follower or disciple, <laughs> something that, that, attaches by itself to Jesus. That that's, that's what I would prefer. So some kind of lighthearted questions I have for you guys is, uh, <laughs> you know, I know that you guys met after Brian came to faith. So what, what, what has it been like for your guys' relationship and your faith journey to kind of sort of parallel? Yeah, well, we, our story is a little bit interesting because we, um, we have actually a lot of the same group of friends, but we never knew each other. Um, and we have two friends in particular, a close friend of mine, close friend of his that had tried to set us up, um, multiple times before we ever met one another and it just never worked out. You know, there was, um, a time we were supposed to meet and I got really sick and I couldn't go. And there was another time we were supposed to meet and he ended up, uh, canceling and I shouldn't say just meet, but just like be in a group setting all together with our other friends. And, um, so so it just never worked out. And, uh, then I was at church, um, the church that we go to, there's some smaller branches and then there's a kind of a bigger main one. And I was at that main campus totally randomly. I didn't usually uh, go to that service. And, um, 
same thing for him. He, it was actually right after his brother's daughter was born and it was near the church there. And his, his mother actually went with him. They went together. And, um, so anyways, that night, it was a Sunday evening. Uh, we did communion and I walked down to the, uh, table, took communion and I was walking back up the aisle and we call this, uh, time when we saw each other, the look, because for me, it really was like this one moment where it just seemed like there was like a light on him. <laughs> it's so sounds so crazy, but I was like, I saw him and I, you know, there's a little bit of like sort of recognition. So I think I'd seen his picture, you know, in other of our friends, Facebook or whatever before, but I just somehow like knew in that moment that like, that was the guy I was going to marry. And it's like the craziest you know, I never believed that when people say things like that, I was like, mm-hmm, sure. And then it totally happened. So, so that night we didn't even talk, but we, we saw one another, we made eye contact. And then that night, um, I went home and I, I got on Facebook and I was like, sent him a message and said, was that you at church? And so then the next week we went on a date, we went on, uh, for a hike for our first date. And, um, yeah, I think we were together every day till we got engaged like five months later, but Um, it was just like a very amazing way to meet because there was just all these times when we could have met before, but we just weren't ready, you know, and, and it just, God's timing wasn't there and it wasn't the right time. And maybe things wouldn't have worked out had we like kicked down the door and, you know, somehow met earlier. I don't know, you know, who knows, but, um, for me, that was just like a really like solidifying fact that like God is there. He's, he's watching over us. He has a plan for us. And if we'll just listen and wait and be patient, um, then, then the plan will unfold, you know? So, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. I Thanks think, for um, sharing that. I love it. Yeah. yeah. God, oh, was I, there I, a light on Carly? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, I definitely saw her. Um, yes. Uh, and, um, and she did kind of look familiar, but I did not know who she was. And I, we smiled at each other. And I, I don't know if you looked twice, if you did a double take, but, <laughs> Maybe. but um, I, I, did, I, I was locking eyes pretty, <laughs> pretty strong. I think we even smiled slightly at each other. So, so there was like, there was definitely something there. And, um, and we kind of, love and hate telling this story to people who are single because you know it's like one we could give them it gives them hope hopefully that hey you know when the timing was right it worked for us um Mm -hmm. and we met in church (laughs) um and also maybe sometimes hate telling this story because it might um it's kind of annoying how how great it worked out for us Um, (laughs) yes that's very true because now with swipe culture they're like that's not how right. it happened when we slept on each other. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. it wasn't that easy. You know, you're like, we spent every day with each other for the next five months. They're like, I like, know like quarantine pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I think you don't see, it's just like anything though. You don't see the hard work. You don't see the fails. You don't see the, you know, the crying and the sadness and the, you know, hurt behind people's stories in all kinds of areas of life, you know, whether it's, you know, in work, in fitness, in relationships, in, you know, uh, journey of seeking for God, like you just don't see that stuff. So, you know, you see the happy part, you hear the happy part, you know, we're not telling you the story of like, you know, like Brian's horrible divorce and like me being single for so many years, you know? So there's always like these, like 
this background that, that we don't know about. And, um, the, the beauty is in all of that, you know, the beauty is in the whole story, I think. Yeah. Mm. That's good. Brian, any thoughts? (laughs) Um, I think, um, when you look at the Bible and you see what, what people are praying for and what they're asking God for, it seems like, um, you know, God's timing is just a little different than how we'd want it to be. <laughs> it's like he wants you to trust him, whether or not he answers your prayer in the affirmative. And, um, you know, as we both kind of came to, to know God in a, a deeper way, I think we understand that God's, that God's timing is almost always late, um, according to our standards. And that when he does answer prayers, he answers it in a way that brings greater glory than you could have ever tried to do yourself. Mm. Um, those are, I think, just beautiful things that he brings out. And that even when he doesn't answer a prayer, um, in the affirmative, it's, um, it is a way for you to, to, to dive deeper in your trust of him. I mean, would you trust him through adversity? That's, would I trust Carly through adversity in our relationship? Like it's, it's a similar thing in all relationships. There is that level of trust or faith. And so God wants you to trust him whether or not things work out perfectly. That's good. That's really good. Thank you so much for, for answering that. So, you know, there's some about your guys' relationship. And then my last question for you guys, and this one just kind of fun. So they have a, um, a year and a half year old um, son and his name's Blaze. And I just want to ask, you know, what would your message to Blaze be, you know, as a man that you want to raise into like um, a child of God, right? What, what would you say to him that would help him grow if it was just like, um, like a simple message or a simple mantra or something that you think would help guide him as just um, something into the future? What would you guys say? You have an answer? <laughs> well, I think. Well, one thing I actually do say to him, we do say every night, we say, Um, I love you. Daddy loves you. And God loves you so much um, as we put him down. And I think just having that, like, I want him to have that reassurance that God loves him uh, no matter what he does or who he is. um, You know, we can't earn God's love. It's just there. So Mm. that's, that's one thing that we we do actually say. Um, And, and one thing that I just hope he knows. Yeah. I guess there's just so much that I'd want to tell. (laughs) Exactly. um, You can expand. I was just like, keep it as simple, but I love that. No, I, I, well, I don't know that I'd really want to add to what Carly just said there. So, um, Mm. you know, it's just, uh, to know that, that, uh, yeah, I guess just to know that he is accepted, um, that, that he has the image of God in him, Mm -hmm. that, um, that, that God image is, uh, can be, um, reflected that if he has God's image, he can reflect it onto the world and bring light into a dark world. I mean, this is a very complicated world. I try to address some complicated questions in the book um, through uh, you know logic and reasoning and evidence and things like that. But I, I don't have perfect clarity to things, but I'm hopefully there's something in there that will reflect God's glory and beauty. And I'm hoping to live my life that way. I hope that Blaze could live his life that way, that, um, that he can bring beauty and light and acceptance and love into the world. And I think along those lines that he can see that in other people, you know, that we're created in God's image. Everyone is created. Every person is created Mm -hmm. in God's image. That's really important to me too, to us. Mm -hmm. 
Awesome. So if any of our listeners want to follow up on, you know, the book, Brian, or, you know, your guys' personal information, um, where they can, where can they reach you guys? Yeah, they can get me uh, at my website, www.briancausey.com. Um, the book is dropping imminently. So probably by the time that people see this, it'll be launched. Uh, so it should be available on hardback or sorry, uh, paperback and Kindle and hopefully audiobook by the time people see this. And it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the places you get a book. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Carly? Yeah. My, um, my website is carlycosi.com and I have a lot of postpartum rehab resources there. Um, Dr. Carly on Instagram and friends also on Instagram now. Uh, or you just Frank Cosi. Cosi Cause. Go yeah. Cosi Cause on Instagram. It's new for him. It's very exciting. Cool. Yes. Go follow you guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Bye. Yes. Thank you. Thank you Bye. We are a women's program that helps build a daily routine around Bible study, prayer, and fun fitness workouts. Get a month free with code EmbracePodcast.